what's up everybody this is ajay here and i welcome you to the second episode of travel with ajay this is a podcast where our guests and i share our travel experiences and stories with you for our second guest we have laren habiger laren worked for the us navy for over 10 years he also has the title of a shellback for those of you who don't know a shellback is a person who has sailed across the equator and he has sailed across the equator over 10 times he is the controls project manager for the project which i'm working on right now without any further ado let's welcome laren just going to give a brief uh timeline oh, of, yeah. of yeah. my military and work history and then we're going to mm-hmm. go back and talk about specific things. Yep. So, uh I graduated high school but way back in 1983, went right into the Navy in January of 1984. And I spent 10 years on active duty. Uh during those 10 years, I spent some time on San Clemente Island, which is an auxiliary landing field. Uh I spent some time in East Africa serving the coast of Somalia. Uh I spent some time in uh Northern Virginia near DC uh, uh teaching ships navigation systems integration with the Aegis weapon system. Uh and then I got out and I well I decided I wanted to get a commission so I wanted to, had to get my degree. I had to finish college. I started college while I was in. Uh got my associate's degree. and I decided I had to finish college so I got out finished college came back in the navy and I was in a few more years and I was in officer candidate school and I ended up getting hurt uh had a uh, career ending injury and I was discharged from the navy as a uh, disabled vet and I went into private industry and I worked for a steel mill for a couple of years and I worked for a glass factory for a few years I worked for all in controls actually uh mm-hmm. electrical and controls electrical, yeah. yeah so i have a double i have an electrical engineering degree mm-hmm. in uh, i specialize in controls and i worked for uh general motors or delphi packard their that's their electrical division uh and and then in 2009 i lived in northeast ohio during that time mm-hmm. uh and then in 2009 i moved to tennessee and i worked i was out of work actually for 2 years so it was in 2009 the economy was really bad yep and i was out of work for about 2 years and uh i got a job as a miracle for an integrator and i worked for him for a few years um and it went as far as i could really could go with him went to work with in water and wastewater worked for there about 7 years and now i've been with bastion for a couple of years and this is where i met ajay yep <laughs> so that's where we are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that experience has brought me to sit in a hotel room on a on a Tuesday night talking about uh travel. Travel and yeah. our experiences. <laughs> yeah. You you've served with the Navy for over 10 years. So I'm I'm pretty sure you have had wild experiences, especially just because you said, you know, you've uh, served at Somalia and in West Africa and all that. So why don't we, why don't we start with um the navy so, experiences yeah okay okay yeah that's that's a uh, might as well start at the beginning uh my first duty station let's go there san clemente island mm-hmm. 
There's a really that's, that's in the U.S. Yes. So San Clemente is off the coast of Southern California. Yeah. I lived in Southern California in a little town called Escondido, mm-hmm. and I moved there sometime in the summer of 1985, and I lived there till late in the summer of 1987. Okay. And I was I would fly out to this island, and I would work for the week, and then fly back home and spend the weekend with my beautiful bride. We got we got married. I married my high school sweetheart. Uh, her name is Robin. And while on that island, I guess the best story I have is uh, two stories that meld into one. Mm-hmm. Uh, one weekend, I had weekend duty, which means I stay on the island for the weekend. And the whole mission of the of the military there was to support the air wing of the Navy and to qualify pilots to land on carrier decks. So before they ever land on a moving carrier, they land on a stationary island that looks like a carrier at sea. Yep. Everything's blackened out. It's got the same lighting, uh, the same everything that looks like a carrier deck, a simulated carrier deck. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's pretty much like being on a shore duty, except you don't have the food you had. You can't go get... Uh, McDonald's or Burger King. So I had weekend duty and I really wanted a Pizza Hut Supreme Pizza. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I found out what squadron was flying that that Friday night. It was a Friday. And I called up the squadron and I said, hey. uh, Well, first of all, I didn't know who even answered the phone. The guy spoke very fast. And so I explained to him, hey, this is Petty Officer Habiger. I'm out on San Clemente Island. I hear you guys are flying out here this weekend, you know, tonight. Uh, I really would like to get a Pizza Hut pizza. <laughs> you know, you think we can work something out? Mm-hmm. And the guy on the other end of the line was, he sounded a little irate. He's like, are you kidding me? you got to be crazy calling me. And I, and, I, and while I interrupted him while I was talking. I said, I have lobster. I can give you lobster for pizza. And he just stopped what he was saying. And he said, oh, that's interesting. Tell me a little more. I said, I want one pizza. It's like a $15 pizza. Yep. I can give you as much lobster as you can carry home. I can fill a cooler for you. Mm-hmm. How many can you carry? And he's, so they were flying F-14s. And he goes, well, we don't really have much room. He goes, but I can fit one of those small little styrofoam coolers. I don't know how many will fit in it. I said, well, I'll bring, I said, we have fresh lobster, but they're fresh frozen. We just caught them this week and froze them. I'll fill up your cooler. You bring us one super supreme or one supreme pizza with no onions on it. And uh, he's like, you got a deal. So I made this deal. This guy brought me pizza. I gave him lobster. Everyone was no one knew what was going on on the island. They're like, "What? What is happening here? This was this this was a first. So that was pretty interesting. A few weeks go by. I think it would have been four weeks because I had weekend duty every four weeks. And another squadron was flying. They were flying A sixes, and me and my buddy had weekend duty. And we're like, "Hey, let's let's see if we can get food delivered again." Mm-hmm. We ended up getting Kentucky Fried Chicken, a bucket <laughs> of chicken delivered. Mm-hmm. We called up the squadron. They brought us chicken. We gave them lobster. So I had about a year left on the island, and this went on several times. You know, this we traded food for lobster, and we had a command inspection, and the the 
the senior officer inspecting us, his name was Vice Admiral Service. He was the commander over the entire uh, Pacific Air Wing for the Navy. Okay. And we're, we were getting inspected. And, and if you ever know anything about getting inspected by an admiral, first thing that happens is uh, you have several people inspect you before he sees you. Mm-hmm. So there'll be like the command master chief, who's the senior listed person on the island. And then the admiral's aide, he'll inspect you. Then admiral himself. Then after the admiral comes the base commander. So there's four people come by. Yep. So command master chief goes by. He looks at me. I mean, I look outstanding. I always look. I was was always outstanding for inspections. You know? mm-hmm. uh, I knew how to shine my shoes and you know crease my uniform. Uh, then the captain comes by. He he looks at me. He doesn't say anything. He goes by. The admiral comes by, and the admiral's the one who judges you. Whatever he says, they write it down. Okay. So He's, what what happens when he writes something down? So that he, he judges you either you pass the inspection satisfactory, he'll judge you either excellent or outstanding, mm-hmm. or he might judge you dissatisfactory, in which case you, you're in trouble for some reason or another. You know, you're going to be doing extra duty, you're going to be scrubbing toilets, you're going to be mm-hmm. doing something. Okay. If the Admiral finds anything wrong with your uniform, mm-hmm. that's yeah, don't let that happen. <laughs> it, it, okay. That was 30 years ago, but... I don't remember exactly what the punishments were, but there wasn't anything you wanted to do. Yeah, just don't mm-hmm. be that guy. Yeah, don't yeah, don't be that guy. I was always told you want to be the guy, not that guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the admiral, he looks at me, he starts to step away, and he stops. He hesitates, and I'm like, oh, what the heck? You know, is there is there like a little thread hanging from somewhere in my uniform? You know, it's just going through my mind all these things, and he stops and he looks at me and he tilts his head to the side. And he says my name. He goes Habiger. He says it questioningly. And uh, and he and he says, "How do I know that name?" And he goes, he asked me, "Am I am I related to?" Ad, there's an Admiral Habiger in the Navy, which I didn't really know about, uh, but I found out later on. He was in charge of uh, a nuclear power program in Idaho. Mm-hmm. I think it was some kind of training school. Okay. Uh, for the Navy. And. And the captain, the captain intervenes, and he says, "No, sir." And he whispers in the admiral's ear. Uh, and the admiral looks at me, and he says, "Are you the lobster guy?" <laughs> and and I was like shocked that, that he knew. I'm like, uh, "I guess I am the lobster guy, sir." And uh, he says to me, "Can you take me diving?" And I'm and I look at the command master chief. And I said, Master Chief, can I take the Admiral diving? And and he's and he says, What are you talking about? And I said, Well, put out for Sutherland, who is my dive my dive my dive partner on the island. Uh, he and I have been doing a lot of diving. We're getting some lobster, and the Admiral wants to go diving for lobster. I'm assuming is that correct, sir? And he's like, That's exactly what I want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, We'll make it happen. So. They step on by, the, the, the uh, command master chief com, comes back around and tells me, fall out of ranks, go get Pedas or Sutherland, you guys go get the boat ready. And we took the Admiral diving for two days. The Admiral ended up staying over that night on the island, which he wasn't supposed to. We took him diving two days. He had a great time. Uh, during my remaining time on the island, the Admiral came back two more times just for us to go diving. He, he scheduled his visits when the two of us had weekend duty. He would fly out, spend the weekend. We'd take him diving. He had a great time. Um, 
it was just one of those things. Uh, I took a chance getting pizza delivered. They made, made a friendship <laughs> with an admiral. Yep. Not not anything weird or anything like that. It was all respectful and uh, you know I always called him sir. I was or, or admiral and uh, but it was it was an interesting thing yep. uh, that happened. Not anything that probably ever happened before or since in the navy. I think it was probably a one time thing. What what I love about the story, uh, this experience that you shared is that even though you're talking about the U.S. Army or the U.S. Navy, it's all about the human connection and the experiences, right? Although, you know, you're talking to an admiral, um, it's it's this connection that, you know, everyone comes down to the same basic needs of having a wonderful experience wherever you are. So that, that's that's something that I really like. Yeah, I did. I I tried to make the best of my life in the Navy. Well, yep. wherever I'm at, mm-hmm. I tried to make the best of it, and that was one of the things I did. I didn't always uh, follow the rules 100. percent Sometimes I stretched the limits of the lines, you know, yep. that were that were there. You follow the spirit, not the letter. Yeah, the and and I, I always had the philosophy: it's easier to get forgiveness than permission, mm-hmm. uh, which got me in trouble sometimes but most of the times it got it benefited me uh so i finished out my time on san clemente island and i went to uh the uss uh, usns chauvenet and that was that? that was a ship that was serving the coast of east africa okay so i had some interesting times there my just on the way to the chauvenet uh, I missed my connecting flight in Paris. Mm-hmm. And so I had to wait around in the airport for an entire, tw- over like 27 hours. While I was in the airport, two things happened. Uh, and people may or may not remember this. It was in the news. Uh, the first thing that happened, nobody ever heard about, is I left my bag sitting where my seat was because I walked across the terminal to go to the restroom. I made it about 30 steps from my bag, and I got tackled by several men with Uzis, hmm. machine guns. They tackled me. They zip-tied me. They took me in this room and started interrogating me. Wow. So don't ever leave your bags unattended in Charles de Gaulle Airport. That was the first <laughs> lesson I learned. Any airport for that matter, but yeah. Uh, the second thing that happened, what happened the second day I was there was a bomb went off in the airport when I was there. And it went off about 300 feet from where I was sitting. And it blew out some windows. And it knocked over these. They had these partitions, kind of like you would have in an office environment. But they were like 30 feet high. And it knocked some of those over. And then I knew why they tackled me for leaving my bag sitting there. Because there are they live in a different world than we live here in the U.S. Uh, people in different parts of the world don't deal with the same things that we deal with here in the U.S. They, their life is much different. Yeah. They have to deal with terrorism on an everyday thing. We don't, we still, even after 9-11, don't realize that terrorism is a real possibility in our lives every day. It could be there. Uh, so that happened on my way to East Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I flew into Djibouti. I finally made my flight. In West Africa. East Africa. Oh, sorry, East Africa. East Africa. Yeah. Djibouti is pretty much surrounded by Ethiopia. Okay. It's a small town. I met the ship there, and we surveyed the coast of Somalia. And and we would be out surveying. We'd be, be at sea for 
about 28 days at a time. And then mm-hmm. we pull in for two or three days and resupply and have a little R&R. And what, what's R&R? Rest and relaxation. Okay. So it would just be time off for the crew. Mm-hmm. Time to unwind. Okay. So my very first time in port after, after meeting the ship was in Mombasa, Kenya. And uh, the ship would hire a driver to pick you up at the ship and take you out into town. Well, I, d- I didn't want to go where everyone else was going. So I decided to just walk into town. Uh, so back then I was young and fit. And so I actually put on some jogging shorts and a, a T-shirt. And I decided to go for a run. And I ran up into town. And it was a couple of miles. And I get into town and it was like, I was running through the jungle, and all of a sudden it opened up, and there was this city, but not a city with skyscrapers, but it's a city with just uh, rows, just streets, grids yeah. of streets, you know? Mm-hmm. And I walked to the end of the first, the very first block, and I'm looking left and right down the side streets, and I see a Asian restaurant, a Chinese restaurant. And I'm like, oh, I could really go for some fried rice, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> So I walk down there, and I go in, and I sit down, and I, I order some pork fried rice. Now, back then, that was the only thing I ate. I ate hamburgers, and when it came to Asian food, pork fried rice was the only thing I ate. Mm-hmm. I was I was young and hadn't tried many different things by then. Uh, so I ate my dinner, and she brings me the bill, and the bill was in shillings. Well, I didn't have shillings because I hadn't been anywhere yet. I hadn't trade. I haven't changed any money from American dollars to Kenya shillings, and the official exchange rate back then was 17 to 1. And I I had American money on me, so I asked them, like, all I have is American money. And they were like, oh, they were excited about American money. So I gave her a $5 bill, and I think my meal might have been, we'll just say it was around two fifty in shillings. I forget what, the, what it was. And uh, she gave me change that was too much money. More than if I had paid the two fifty, and I tried to correct her, and she's like, "No, no, it's right, it's right." And she asked me if I wanted to buy something else, and I'm like, uh, "Well, I could use some gum." So that that she had a glass case there, you know, at the at the cash register. Yep. So I bought some gum, and I tried to give her. So she gave me change in shillings, by the way, when I paid with the five dollar bills. I tried to pay her with the shillings. She goes, no, 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 you pay with you pay with dollars. So I'm starting to, the wheels are starting to turn in my head. This lady wants dollars. You know, she doesn't want shillings. So I didn't have any more fives. I gave her a 20. Well, she gave me back more than $20 at the exchange rate. So I'm like, wow, this is crazy. You know, I'm, this is, something, something's not right. And so she's like, you want to buy anything else? <laughs> And she's like, how about another pack of gum? And I'm like, okay. And she's like, well, you have to pay for that in the back room. So now I'm a little scared, but I'm also a little intrigued. Mm-hmm. So she walks me, she escorts me back to this room. And and it was kind of funny. It was one of those doors with slats in it. So I could, you can't really see in there, but I could tell that there's someone in there because he was smoking the smoke was coming out. So she opens the door. And I go in there, and there's this Asian guy, Chinese guy, sitting in there behind a desk, and he's wearing a linen suit. I don't know why he's wearing a suit, but he's wearing a suit, trying to look official. And 
he asks me how much I want to pay for the gum. So I still don't understand what's going on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just, my head's spinning. Yep. I'm this young. I was 21, 22 years old at the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Didn't know anything about the world. But uh, so I, I take my wallet out and I have 200, I had $200 cash on me still. And I said, $200. You know, I get 200 and he gives me back. Kenya shillings at a 20 to 1 rate for the $200. The official rate was, no, I'm sorry, it was 25 to 1. Mm-hmm. It was 25 to 1. The official was 17 the official, to 1. The official rate was 17 to 1. Yeah. And he says, if you have any friends that need to buy gum, see, he wouldn't change, he would, he would never <laughs> say change money. Yeah. He always said buy gum or buy something. Mm-hmm. He goes, send them my way. So what I did is being. I got by now the lights coming on. I'm getting a little smarter. I go tell my friends, "Hey, I can get you twenty to one, mm-hmm. which is way better than the exchange rate. You get three to one over the exchange rate." Uh, so I collect like two grand. I have a little note. I'm, I'm like a bookie. I have a notepad with numbers and names. Collect the money from people. I go change. I, I the next day I go back to this guy with two thousand dollars. I tell all my friends I give them twenty to one. With $2,000, this guy gives me 30 to 1, hmm. which is almost twice the exchange rate. <laughs> I'm giving my friends 20 to 1. I'm keeping 10 for – I'm getting 50 cents on the dollar for yeah. every dollar they're giving me. That's that's 50% for the people who are not following up. 50 per, 50%. Yeah, 5-0%. Yeah, 5-0, yeah. Yeah. So my friends are getting what I told them. I'm making a killing on all this money. I'm – and – my friends who my, my immediate friends who were hanging out with me, I was buying everything in town. We mm-hmm. go hang out. I was buying everything because it wasn't my money. I didn't care. Yep. So we we pulled in again. The word got around on the ship. The next month we pulled back in there. I had like ten thousand dollars. People wanted me to change. And so the command master chief, he had money. He wanted change. So he put me on the duty to go get the mail. Mail was always first thing. Nobody left the ship till they went to the airport, picked up the mail, and brought the mail back. Why is that so? They wanted everyone to have mail to have contact from home in case you needed to contact people while you were in port. Okay. So they wanted you to get your mail, read your mail, and then if you needed to call home, there were call centers in town you could call home. Okay. This was back in 85. You mm-hmm. couldn't just call home. There were no cell phones. Satellite phone was over $10 a minute. Yep. You can call from a call center for like 25 cents a minute. So I went with the mail guys. They would drop me off. I'd change the money. They'd go get the mail. They'd come back and get me, and I'd have all this money, and I'd go back and get, change money for everybody. It became like something, part of the ship's routine. <laughs> and here I was getting, you know, 30 to 1. I'm making 10 to 1, giving everyone else 20 to 1. <laughs> and so I asked the guy the second month, I go, why are you doing this? I go, why, why, why are you giving me such a good exchange rate? Which, so it was totally illegal, by the way. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, it's black market. You're not allowed to do it. But at, at the time, I didn't even know that. I'm just like, st- free money. stupid, you know, in, you know, naive sailor. Uh, his, his, his answer was, it took American dollars to get 
people from China to America. To bribe officials in America, they had to have American dollars. So they were willing to pay the cost to get their hands on American bills. And so uh, it was kind of doing a good thing, <laughs> I guess. Getting people out of China. Getting, I mean. getting people out of China, yeah. I, now, now that I look back on it. But when I left, so I, I was in uh, Kenya for like 10 months after that. When I left, I had all this money. I had thousands and thousands of shillings that I couldn't change back because you didn't have a receipt that you changed it two shillings. You couldn't change it back. So I threw a Christmas party for the ship, for a whole bunch of people on the ship. It was catered, drinks, open bar. I, I paid I paid for it all. I spent every cent I had left <laughs> uh, when I left. You know. did, did you get like a better name or did, did people treat you better after that? Or was it all the same? No, because... Uh, so a lot of people thought other people were doing it. I tried yeah. to keep it as quiet as possible that it was me. Mm-hmm. And I would have my friends say, hey, if you tell anybody else, just tell them it's you. Uh. <laughs> so all everyone thought it was someone else different changing the money. Mm-hmm. Very few people knew that it was actually me doing okay. it. Other than I had to tell the guy, the command master chief, because I had to get on the mail routine. Yep. So I talked to him and said, hey, I need to get on this routine if we need to, need to get this money early. Because he tried to put my other buddy on it. My other buddy's like, ah, we can't do this. So I went and told him it was me doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got it. We got it straightened out. <laughs> but that was very interesting. That was another one of my, uh, you know, I've never, I've, I've met hundreds, thousands of people in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Nobody else had an experience like that. It yep. was just a, but I, but I love the Navy, and like I said, I'd, I always tried to make the best of it. But while, while I was there, you know, like I said, I went out and ran that first day. Mm-hmm. I always did that. I would take the bus. that I would run into town, and I would take the bus that the locals took, not the one that the Navy provided. Yep. And if they were going to the North Shore of Mombasa, I would pop two or three buses to get there and meet with the local people and hang out with them. And sometimes I would get out halfway and talk to the people and – Visit them in their village, is their villages and their huts and things like that, and uh, there was always a connection. That they, I found that they were very friendly. Uh, a lot of times they would offer me to share a meal with them, and it was it was a, it was an incredible time there. So that's that's one of the things that I love about uh, this traveling job. You get to uh, interact with the locals and experience their life as they would live it. And not just as a, if, if you were a tourist, you would just visit the fancy places, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to go out of your way to experience the life as they would, right? Because you just want to experience something new. You sure. wouldn't, you wouldn't want to care about like how the locals would live. Actually, if you were a tourist and you were taking a bus to the North Shore, it would never even take you through the neighborhoods where I went. Yep. They wouldn't even show you that. Yep. At all, they would they would try to sh- they wouldn't want you to see that that's how people lived, mm-hmm. you know, because you would you might not come back. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so that was it. That was that. That was that. That was my overseas. Well, uh, we had the shark incident. I told you about the shark earlier. Do you want to, should I talk about that or not? Sure. Why not? Okay. So, for for uh, for those of you who don't know. 
Laren and I uh, and Matt who's joining us here we've <laughs> we, uh, we go out for lunch together and Laren actually shares all these wonderful experiences with us so we have heard of these before and we would love to let everyone else hear these uh, experiences as well okay so uh we're like I said we were surveying the coast of Somalia mm-hmm. uh, and the the charts that we were using to navigate off of were charts that were made with lead line. And I don't know if you know what lead line is, but lead line nope. is when they they take a rope and they run it through molten lead and it gets coated with lead. And then they, as a ship sails close to the beach, the old sailing ships with the masts and the sails, they would lower that down until it hit the bottom. They could know it hit the bottom because it would stop being having weight. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's how deep it is. So that's how act. That's how old the the charts we had were from the seventeen nineties. Mm-hmm. So we were creating new charts that were very accurate, but basically to within a few inches, depending on the tide, obviously. Yep. Uh, of the Somali coast, uh, it had a, this off the coast of Somalia is a very strategic location for submarine navigation. Uh, can't really say much more about that. That's yep. Uh, but uh, so we were, we we would spend time. This was back before cell phones and GPS. Yep. And back then, a satellite receiver would have to stay in location for several weeks before it knew its exact position. Mm-hmm. And we were doing that. We were getting exact exact positions every twenty miles down the coast of Somalia. And so we were camped out in Somalia. And I had my snorkeling gear, and I would go out snorkeling on this reef every day. And after several weeks of doing that, going out there and uh, collecting shells and, you know, spear fishing and just having a pretty good time out there uh, snorkeling. I was the only one, too. None of the rest of the, none of the other sailors had brought gear to do any snorkeling. I was going to ask you that. So do you already had this before? Yeah, so I brought my stuff. I, I knew I knew I was going to be hitting the Philippines sometime mm-hmm. while I was overseas. So I took my mask and fins with me. And, mm-hmm. You know, I'd already been a diver. Okay. Uh, so I, I came back from, from snorkeling one day, and we had a Somali liaison officer who uh, spent most of the time on the ship. But that day he happened to fly out, and he was staying in our camp. And I go walking into camp, and he sees me carrying this gear, and he kind of freaks out. He, he gets all excited. He's like, what are you doing? Where you been? What are you, you know, and, and uh, it's hard to understand him because his English was. was Broken. Very broken. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I, we finally communicate that I've just been out there diving, you know, snorkeling. Mm-hmm. And he tells me, no, no, no. You know, he's like, I'm like, well, why not? You know, I've been doing it for weeks. Well, it turns out. Oh, also, let, let me let me digress here for a minute. Mm-hmm. Every day when I'm out snorkeling, all the kids from this little town, <laughs> probably thirty kids in all, mm-hmm. would come out and just sit on the beach, and they would just stay out there on the beach the whole time I was snorkeling. And when I came back, just before I got to the beach, they would all get up and go disappointedly back to their town. Like, What's oh, the white man's win, huh? Yeah, it's like, oh, let's go watch the American go swimming, you know? <laughs> Big highlight of the day. Yep. Well, it turns out that they weren't watching the American go swimming. They had a tiger shark that had killed three villagers in, in 
in the previous year, mm-hmm. and they were there to see the American get eaten by the tiger shark. Wow. Well, it never <laughs> happened. Uh, I never went diving again, and the kids never came out and watched me again. <laughs> so, make a long story short, they were, they were just there for the show. Yep. <laughs> Aren't we all <laughs> just for the show? Uh-huh. Yeah. Luckily for me, the show didn't go on. Yeah. So the rest of my Navy career was kind of just normal. Uh, there was nothing exciting about the rest of it. You know, I finished mm-hmm. out, I got out of the, of the Navy after 10 years, and I wanted to get my finish my college degree because I wanted a commission. I wanted to be an, an, an officer. Yep. Does, it doesn't make a difference if you're an officer or if it's just a petty officer. You say it doesn't make a difference? Yeah, does it? Uh, well, it, it does make a difference in what you want out of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wanted, I wanted, more, I wanted to be more. I wanted to do more. I was always, I, I was never satisfied with being where I was. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to do, be, be, be better. Yep. So, but to get a commission, you have to get a college degree, mm-hmm. or you can become a warrant officer. But I didn't want to go that route. Uh, so I had to finish my college. So I got out, finished my college degree. I went back in, and I went to officer candidate school. And I ended up uh, having a career-ending injury. I broke my back in two places, uh, automatically disqualified me from sea uh, duty, and they said I couldn't be commissioned anymore. So I got ended up getting kicked out of the Navy as a disabled veteran. So that ended my naval career. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, luckily for me, I had a friend who uh, worked in a steel mill who got me an interview my first week home when I got a job mm-hmm. uh, working in a steel mill. And I worked there for several years. And uh, like I said, I had, I've had i had a couple of jobs. Uh, I worked for a glass factory. And then I worked for the steel mill again. I left there and went back. And all that brings me to... You know, Sumter, South Carolina. Programming, <laughs> you know, program manager working from home most of the time. Multiple mm-hmm. projects going on right now. Yep, got at least six, at least six projects right now. Yep, and uh, I'm here, you know, making sure this uh, project starts off smoothly. Yep, and uh, although Ajay's been doing all the work, I've been making sure. Oh, thank he, you. <laughs> he has everything he needs. Yep. you know, ordering parts that we need. And, mm-hmm. You know that kind of stuff because. Yep. Uh, otherwise, it would be a nightmare, and we'd never get started. So, do you think working from home would be different from you know working from a different state or or from a different country because you've been to quite a quite a bit? Do I think it's different? Yeah, like uh, do you think that you would you would spend a lot more time, or you think the resources would be a little different? Yeah, I don't know how you do it working from a different country. To me, mm-hmm. that's just that's uh, kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, just flying over here and sitting down, and you know, you did all your design over there and come back and yep. And even though how many things do you think were different by the time you got over here? Quite, quite almost everything actually. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, because uh, if 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 you just look at the electrical code itself, the especially U.S. Everything in the U.S. is completely different. You could just take a look at your neighbors, like Canada. You guys use miles. Canada uses kilometers, so it's it's quite. It's it's, especially coming from India, it's literally the opposite side of the world. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I couldn't manage a project over there, I don't think. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'll manage it whatever you want here. I, I couldn't even, I don't know if I could do one in Canada. Don't say that because, uh, or don't let anyone know that. Because I have them coming up in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll do it well because um, at least the rest of the world is trying to catch up with America. Just because you guys have it all sorted out with the standards and everything. Yeah. So, uh, although Indians, uh, we do have a lot of standards. But I think cost takes more precedence over the standards. So, we kind of like, you know, skim with the standards and stuff. So, I, I think everyone right now... It's kind of realizing that, you know, even if we do pay a little more, it's going to probably last us a lot more longer. Yeah. See, we can't skim with the standards here because we have inspectors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that just doesn't fly. Yeah. So a lot of the bigger companies do have inspectors. But if, if you're the smaller companies, all you care about is to get your product out, right? Well, we have government inspectors. Yeah. So you have to comply. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of the problem. Like our panels, you know, we we make our panels, even though for this job, they're not UL certified, but most of our mm-hmm. panels are UL, UL certified. Yep, almost and, all. And yep. we can't put that label on there uh, unless it meets all the criteria. Yep. So. That's kind of cool. That's, that's what I love about this job, you know, you get to travel a lot, you get to... More, more than the travel, it's all about the human connection and about the human experiences. You know, talking about other people with different experiences. Because I personally believe that everything you believe in is just because of the consequences you grew up with. So if, if you grew up in um, upstate New York or if you grew up in a town in India, that kind of brings you up. So I, I just sure. love having conversations yeah. with people too. Yeah. It, was, it was awesome, Lavrin. Yep. I, I enjoyed it. But you're right. You're you're a uh, you're a sum of the parts. Each of us are a sum of the parts that went, in, that went into making us. Yep. Yeah. Thanks so much, Laren, for uh, for joining us. Redoing it. Yeah, for redoing <laughs> it. <laughs> I think this one went better. Oh yeah, so much better. <laughs> and that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you like what you heard, do consider subscribing and leaving a comment on Apple iTunes or anywhere where you listen to this podcast.